Hey guys, this is Joshua Jimenez, the host of Sandy Creek Stirrings. I have some exciting news for you today before we get into our episode. From the very beginning of Sandy Creek Stirrings, I said that on Fridays, one thing I would like to eventually do is to interview seasoned men of God. And I was able to see that dream and that portion of the podcast come true this week. This week, I had the great pleasure and opportunity of sitting down with the director and president of Macedonia World Baptist Missions, one of the men that I have looked up to for many years, Dr. Scott Cottle. And I was able to sit down in-house with him and conduct an interview episode that I think you will thoroughly enjoy. And we talked about a multitude of subjects, and it's going to be a phenomenal episode phenomenal episode. You're looking forward to it. I guarantee you, you will enjoy it. And so October 9th, October the 9th is when that episode will be released two weeks away. And so I'm excited for that episode. It's going to be phenomenal. It's going to be very good. And I'm so thankful Brother Cottle was willing to do that with me. We recorded a quite a lengthy episode, and so we'll release that October the 9th. Now, in preparation for that, we will be giving away two of his music CDs, and they, I had him autograph them before he left. And so we're going to give away two of his autograph CDs. One is By Faith, and the other one is Someone Somewhere Needs to Hear. Now, you may ask, how can you earn one of those CDs? Well, there's a couple ways, and let me give them to you quickly. It's going to be a drawing, so there's several different ways that you can have your name put in the bowl, and we will announce the winner, not on October the 9th, not on that very episode, but we will announce the winner of the CDs on October the 12th. That'll be the very next episode after that interview episode. And so how can you get your name possibly to be drawn? Well, there's a few ways. We've released a video talking about the episode on Facebook. So if you're a Facebook follower, you can go on. And if you share that Facebook post, that Facebook video, you get your name put in the bowl. For every friend you tag in the comments of that video, you get an extra name put in the bowl. By doing those things, you get one name put in the bowl. Now, there's a couple other ways that you can get more names added into the bowl to be drawn out. One of them is you can go onto any podcast platform, and um, Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast are the one that we're targeting. Some of the others, I can't see too much of the reviews. So if you go on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or Spotify, and you leave us a review that has some text with it, then I can see the name that was left for that for that review, and we can go in, and I will put your name. If you leave a review on one of those three platforms, I will put your name in the bowl, not one time, not two times, but five times your name will be added to the bowl for every, every platform that you leave a review on. And then last but not least, if you go on Facebook and leave us a review on our Facebook page, then your name will get be put in the bowl five times. And so let me encourage you to do that. You can do it by sharing the Facebook post, by tagging friends in the comments, or by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or our Facebook page. And so I'm excited. It's going to be a phenomenal episode, October the 9th. Make sure to stay tuned for that episode. But for now, here's today's episode. And if you're going to win souls, you've got to love souls. In spite of their meanness, in spite of the way they look, in spite of everything, you've got to seek to bring souls to Jesus Christ because you love them, because Jesus loved them, and because Jesus died for them, and you're trying to bring them to the Son of God. 
This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Aren't you thankful for another day to be able to walk with God, to be able to learn in His Word, to just experience the blessings of life that God has for His children? I don't know about you, but I I love my life. I love what I've been able to do for God. I love what God has allowed me to do in my life and being able to serve Him and having the wonderful family that I have. And so, amen. Thankful for another day. And of course, another podcast episode here on Sandy Creek Stirrings. And so, I hope you've been enjoying our Bible Versions episodes. And this is Bible Versions Part 3. It'll be the last part of this, um, this series. And I hope it's been effective. If you have any questions, Maybe it's in regards to one of the modern translations we've already talked about. Maybe you have a specific question about a specific translation or whatever it may be. You can always send in those questions, and please do. If you have a question, I would love to answer it for you. Now, I am no expert. And I've said that multiple times. I am no expert. I don't know all the answers. And so, hey, there are times where I'll consult with somebody else, um, a seasoned men of God, consult with my pastor, consult with my preacher on, hey, how? what's the best way to answer this? And so, no, I don't know all the answers. But you can send in those questions, and we will do our very best to provide you with a biblical answer. Now, let's go ahead and dive right in. I don't want to take super long today. We've already went over the past two weeks in the apologetics as far as time. And, you know, I said at the beginning, that I really didn't want to go over half an hour, and I realized how much I've failed in that aspect. So um, we're going to try and see what we can do as far as time today. So I'm not going to rehash everything we visited in the first two episodes on Bible versions. If you missed it, you can go back. But we talked about how the reality is you don't see 233 translations of the Bible. You don't see a 1,000 English translations of the Bible. You see two because they all come or are based off of one of two lines of manuscripts. And we talked about the lion out of Antioch, um, referring to the Textus Receptus, the received text, sometimes called the traditional text. And then we talked about the line that came out of Alexandria, um, commonly known as the critical text, sometimes called the eclectic text. And so I hope all of that made sense to you. Last week, we talked about the problems of the modern English versions and the modern translations. We talked about the NIV, the ESV, the uh, NAV. SV, the RSV, the you name it, we talked about them at least, um, pointed out two verses that they're missing, and I think that's enough proof for me. Um, I think it was enough proof for God. He said, you shall not add and shall not take away from the words that God had put in, and so that should be enough evidence. And then we talked about those two, I'm going to call them pretenders, those two pretenders, the New King James Version and the Modern English Version, who claim to be based off of the Texas Receptus, who claim to only be updating the King James Version, but in reality, weren't they? No, they weren't. No, they weren't really just updating the King James Version. They did use, they did consult the critical text. And so this week, in this week's episode, we're going to talk about defending the King James Bible. And so maybe you're going to start using the King James Bible. Maybe that's something you've always used, and but you want to learn to defend it a little bit better. And so I think this is a subject. In fact, I know this is a subject we need to talk about more. Uh, to be honest with you, the New King James Version people, they want to talk about Bible versions. The NIV people want to talk about Bible versions. The New American Standard people want to talk about the Bible versions. But what you'll find is a lot of these KJB guys who have used the KJB for years, 
don't talk about it too much. Oh, uh, don't get me wrong. They'll mention in a sermon, you know, bless God, open up in your King James Bible. But other than that, they don't talk about it. They don't talk about how to defend it. They don't talk about some of the questions that a lot of people will come to with the King James Bible or will they'll hear eventually and begin questioning some things. So we need to approach that. I think it's a subject we need to talk about more. And so I'm going to open up with this this morning on the King James Bible. Here's the deal. It is not about, for people who are against the King James Bible, it is not about the King James Bible. You say that makes no sense. Well, it's not about the King James Bible. What the true reality of the, of the foundation of people disliking the King James Bible, for a lot of people, is the fact that there is a perfect word of God. There can be a perfect word of God with no errors, with no contradictions, with no mistakes. And that's really where the, the climax of this whole situation, this whole debate comes to, is then the perfect word of God. Because here's the deal. If we were to take the King James Bible and, and throw it away and begin using a different version, let's say we use the MEV. So this is the perfect word of God. It has no contradictions. It has no errors, which we pointed out last week. It does. But um, if we were to pick that up and say, you know, people, the same people who are against the King James Bible and us today would be against the MEV. And the reason why it's not about, for most people, it's not about the King James Bible itself. It's about believing there is a perfect word of God. Because if there is a perfect word of God, then they have to live their life in subjection to it. They have to live their life in subjection to it because it's perfect. But if it's not perfect, then I can pick and choose my beliefs as I please. That is where the true infiltration of this underlying issue begins with the King James Bible. And so God inspired his words into Greek and Hebrew. And then through the copying of these manuscripts, he preserved his perfectly inspired word of God and preserved it through the, process, through the process of translating his inspired word. So I believe in inspiration, and I believe in preservation, keeping the word of God the same as he promised. Now, you have to be careful. If you're canning stuff, you can can stuff the wrong way, and it can become deadly to you. So yes, they had to be careful. But ladies and gentlemen, we hold in our hands, when you hold a King James Bible, you do hold the perfect word of God with no errors, no mistakes, no contradictions. And so how do we defend the King James Bible? You say, well, I've got people asking me questions about the King James Bible. The people, when they ask questions, they can be divided into two classes, okay? There are people who ask questions just to ask questions. They're, they're not really looking for an answer. They just want to debate. They just want to fight. You know somebody like that? I used to be like that as a kid. I used to ask questions to my dad, just to ask questions, and we'd get into super long talks just because I wanted to ask questions. And uh, But then there are, secondly, people who ask questions to get answers. Here's what I will tell you. You can waste a lot of time talking with somebody about the King James Bible who is simply asking questions to ask questions. And so here's what I will tell you. The greatest argument you can give for the King James Bible to those people who are asking questions just to ask questions, here's the greatest defense you can give. Live it. That is the best defense you can give to people who are asking questions just to have a debate. The best thing you can do is just live it. 
You're never going to get anywhere going over the manuscript lines or anything like that. It's not going to make a difference in their lives. So what you do is you live it, and they'll see the real change in you. But for the people who ask questions to get answers, they are asking sincere questions because they really don't know, but they want to know. Then what you want to do is you want to present biblical, logical arguments. I believe you always start with what we believe about the Word of God. We believe it's inspired. We believe it's perfect because the Word of God tells us it is. It's not a personal opinion. It's because God said it was. So we take them to that. And then we begin approaching the questions as they ask them. And so there's really a few questions that I want to talk about today that people begin to ask when they come to the King James Bible. They're very common questions, and if you are using the King James Bible, you will eventually face these questions. And so the first one I want to talk about today is this thought, this question regarding, what about all those old What about all those archaic words in the King James Bible? It's so hard to read because of all the old words. So that statement of, it's too hard for me to understand, how do we answer that question? Well, the claim in today's world is that the King James Bible is written on a 12th grade reading level. And so it's no doubt because of the dumbing down of America Um, That's why it's rated as a 12th grade reading level and has nothing to do with those who actually read it. And so it has nothing to do with the Word of God and its understandability as much as it has to do with the dumbing down of our nation. And I wouldn't be surprised if Dick and Jane are now, you know, fourth grade reading level, you know, see, spot, run. And um, But here's the deal. For a long time, for a long, 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 long time, even just till just a few years ago, the Bible, the King James Bible, was considered to be on the fifth grade reading level, meaning a fifth grader could pick it up and comprehend much of the Bible. And I submit to you that if you get a fifth grader who's actually going, will is willing to sit down and read, they can understand a lot of the King James Bible. Put it this way, my seven-year-old brother, my seven-year-old brother read through the entire New Testament or I think it was just the Gospels. But he read through a a sizable portion of the King James Bible in just a short amount of time, my seven-year-old brother. And here's the deal. Did he understand every single piece of what he read? No. Hey, I don't even understand every single piece I read. I have to pull out the tools we've talked about before. But if you were to ask him, did he understand and get something out of the reading? He would tell you absolutely he did. Yes, he did. If a seven-year-old can pick it up, I believe that it's not as hard to understand as a lot of people would want to make it out. I think in reality, you do what you want to. If you want to sit down and read the Word of God, you can. It just takes some effort. All right, and now let's answer that idea of there's. it's filled with old words. It's filled with archaic words. And so how do we answer that? Well, really, it's a it's kind of a three-pronged answer. Number one, archaic words within the Word of God are often derived by context. So you can read through a verse and understand what a difficult word is just by where it's placed in the verse. For instance, Isaiah 14, 23. I will sweep it with the besom of destruction, saith the Lord of hosts. I will sweep it with the besom. Let me ask you a question. If you had to guess, just give your best guess. I will sweep it with a besom of destruction. What do you think a besom is? I mean, that's a, that's a word we don't use often. What do you think a besom is? I will sweep it with the besom. If you said broom, you would be correct. 
And that wasn't that difficult, was it? You see, God is using an analogy in this verse saying, I'm going to sweep you away with a broom of destruction. That's what Besom means. There are so many times in the King James Bible where we come to what might be considered an old word, an archaic word. They can be derived by context. You can just read through and understand what its general meaning is just by its context. So the second way we can answer that is just because there is an archaic word, it doesn't mean we have to change or remove the word. You say, what do you mean? Well, we handle the, we must handle the matters of the Bible in this regard the way the Bible would, not the way that man would. You say, does God give us a principle for how to handle old words in the Bible? Yes, it does. I wonder if that shocks you. First uh, Samuel chapter 9, we come to this story, Samuel, or Samuel is, um, of course, he is the prophet of God. He is the man of God. And Saul, this is before Saul is king. Remember, he's looking for his father's donkeys that have ran away. And um, he's looking for them. And so he and his servant have looked and looked and looked. They can't find him anywhere. And so the servant says, why don't we go talk to the man of God, and maybe he can tell us where they are. And so when we come to verse number 8, that is what's happening. And the servant answered Saul again and said, Behold, I have here at hand the fourth part of a shekel of silver that I will give to the man of God to tell us our way. So they're going to go to the man of God and begin to talk to him and ask him, Where are the donkeys? And so in verse number 9, we have, Before time in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, thus he spake, Come, and let us go to the seer. For he that is now called a prophet was before time called a seer. So the author, Samuel, kind of puts in parentheses here. He says, now let me give you something real quick. Before time in Israel, long ago, when a man went to go ask for the man of God, he would say, hey, is the seer here? S-E-E-R, is the seer here? And then Samuel says, what was before called a, what, what we now call a prophet, it was back then called a seer. So the word seer was no longer used by these Israelites anymore. Um, upon the time of this writing, the word prophet was the common word. But that's what they used in times past was the word seer. So look at verse number 10. Then said Saul to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went up to the city where the man of God was. And as they went up, to the, up the hill to the city, they found young maidens going out to draw water and said unto them, Is the seer here? Well, wait a second, Samuel. That's an old word. That's a very old word. We don't even use seer anymore. It's prophet. Why don't you just put prophet in there? Here's why. God didn't tell him to put prophet. God told him to put seer. And so what did he do? He simply defined what the word meant and left it there. He simply defined what the word meant and left it there. You don't have to remove it just because you don't understand it. Define it and then leave it there. Let me ask you a question. Let's say you were sent off to a foreign country, and you were gone for a year, and you were madly in love with your fiancé. Let's say you got engaged just before you left, and you got sent overseas. Maybe you're in the military or whatever, and you got sent overseas for a year, and you were just madly in love. I mean, so difficult to be away for a year. And she sent you, or he he sent you a letter, and you got that letter, and they used some big, long word. Oh, my love for you is like whatever. And you think of a big difficult word. And you're you're reading through that letter and you're like, I don't know what that word means. 
And so you get out your dictionary and you open it up and you read and you define that word and you're like, huh, that means lots of love. And then you go back to the letter, take your pen and you scribble out that word in the letter and, and put over the top of it lots of love. No, you wouldn't do it, would you? You would leave it there. Why? Because it's their words. It was something they felt was important, and so you're going to leave it. You wouldn't scratch it out. You don't walk up to the TV when you're watching a tennis match and, and see where the score is love 15. That's the actual score. Love 15, you don't walk up to your TV with a Sharpie marker and cross out love and uh, put the actual score. You leave it there. You just define what love means. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 25, the Bible uses the word shambles. In that particular passage, shambles is an old word for marketplace. And so here's the deal. If a preacher were to preach from 1 Corinthians 10, 25 and say shambles means marketplace, and he defines it, no problem, we're good to go. But if he says, hey, take your pen and cross out that word shambles and write marketplace, just scribble it out and write marketplace above it, well, then we'd have an issue because it's not his words, it's God's words, and we're supposed to leave the words there, simply define it. As 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 8, 9 and 10 and 11 teach us, we simply define it, but leave the word there. And so the third thing I'm going to say on archaic words is really the King James Bible is written in the finest points of King's English. Um, 1611 English is the finest point of English called the King's English. I mean, from that we get phrases such as at my wits end, drop of a bucket, got away by the skin of my teeth. And so some great phrases that came from that. And uh, so answering the archaic words, well, a lot of them are derived by context. Just because they're an archaic word, we don't have to remove it, just define it. And then three, the finest points of King English, or the finest points of English is 1611 English, considered by many to be the finest point of English by a lot of English teachers. So talking about some specific archaic words, though, let's mention some, because it does have some archaic words. Um, how about the word abutted, abutted, or elation, or frolic, or melodious, or jeered? We don't use those words so commonly anymore. They're not common. They're older words. Well, I didn't get those words out of the King James Bible. I got them out of the NIV. How about the words didst, doest, doth, gavest? Well, I, I didn't get those out of the King James Version. I got those out of the out of the American Standard Version. In fact, there's 160 references in the ASV of didst. There's 43 references of doest. There's 198 references of doth. And there's 26 other references of gavest. How about the words bemoan? How about the words beggarly? Loins? Vanity? I didn't get those out of the King James Bible. I got them out of the New King James Bible. And by the way, there's multiple references of each of those words except for beggarly. Now, how about milk spelled with a C-H? How about forth? Go forth. We don't use that anymore. anymore. Uh, thee. How about thee? How about thou? How about thine? Those are words we don't use necessarily anymore. But what you'll find is... I didn't get those out of the King James Bible. I got them out of the New Revised Standard Version. In fact, the word forth has 450, is used 456 times. The word thee is used 407 times. The word thou is used 767 times. And the word thine is used um, 18 times. How about the words betrothed? Me and my betrothed. How about the words reclined at table? Referring to eating. Reclined at table. How about the words lamentation? 
Those are older words. We don't use those anymore, do we? But the problem is I didn't get those out of the King James Bible. I got them out of the English Standard Version. What am I saying? I'm saying that why do people only point out the old words in the King James Version, but do not point out the old words in all of the other versions? You see, every single version has old words in it. Now, put on your thinking cap real quick. Why then do we only hear about the King James Bible having old words, but we don't hear it about any of the other versions? Can I submit to you that maybe this goes back to the foundation for a lot of people on the argument is it's not about the King James Bible. It's about there being a perfect word of God. So archaic words... How do we answer that? Well, we can arrive to the definition by context. Just because there's an archaic word, we don't have to remove it. It's considered by many the finest point of English. Um, if it's too hard to understand, hey, it's um, they say it's written on 12th grade reading level. For a long time, it was 5th grade reading level. And the reality is uh, there's a lot of kids in our church who read the Bible and they understand a lot of it. I think it just comes down to their want to, not its difficulty to read. I'll tell you what, one of my favorite things to do, though, is when somebody asks me, what about the old words in the Bible? I have that list. Uh, most of it memorized where the where I gave those words and I assigned a, um, a Bible version to it. And so what I love to do when somebody asks me about old words is they'll say, what, what, it's so difficult to understand. I'll say, oh, you mean all the old words? And they'll be like, yeah, the old words. It just, it's just so difficult to understand. And so I'll grab my pen and a piece of paper real quick and I'll say, you mean like these words? And I'll scribble out just, you know, I'll group them together. Just like I read you off groups of words, I'll group them together, but I won't give what reference or what Bible version they are. And so I'll just group them all over the paper. And I'll be like, you, you mean all those old words like that? And they'll say, yeah, yeah, look at all those old words. And I'll say, well, that's great. I didn't get these. And then I'll assign over the top the, uh, the Bible versions they belong to. And it shocks them, but it also brings them to this point. Wait a second. So you're telling me all the Bible versions have old words? Yeah, all of them have old words. So here's the second question I get a lot in regards to the King James Bible. Well, the translators were all common men. They were just common men, and so they weren't perfect, so therefore they couldn't produce something that's perfect. Well, so were the original authors. I mean, David was a common man. He was an adulterer, in fact. I mean, Solomon was a common man. He was an idolater. He worshipped false gods, in fact. I mean, Paul he was a normal man, and yes, he got right later on in life, or in his life on the Damascus Road, but hey, he killed Christians for a living. All of the original authors were common men, but God still used them to produce something perfect. Why couldn't it happen again? In fact, God said he would, God inspired his word, and he said he would preserve his word. If he didn't preserve it, then let me tell you something, folks, he lied. God preserved his word, and he preserved it perfectly as he had it originally. And so the third question I get a lot, and this is probably the last one we'll discuss for today, and then I want to mention one other thing after this, but the third question I get a lot is, or rather it's a statement, well, the King James Bible is full of contradictions and errors. It has errors all in it. It's got mistakes all over it. And so if somebody tells me that, and I'm talking with them, and they'll say, well, it's full of contradictions, I will take my Bible, I will hand it to them. And I will say, good, show me. 
Show me where are the contradictions. I will be honest with you. I have not met a single person yet who I've handed my Bible to and said, show me. I've not had a single person yet who is able to turn to any contradictions or errors. They begin to stammer, well, well I, I don't know where they're at. I, 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 that, I, that's just what I've heard. That's just what I've been told. It's full of contradictions and errors. Since when do we just trust what we've heard? Since when do we just follow what a lot of people say? Listen to me. I don't even want you to follow just what I say. I want you to verify it with the Word of God. The reality is most people, when they say the King James Bible is full of contradictions and errors, they don't know where they're at. But when somebody says that, that it means that they are supposed to know. By making that statement, they are supposed to know where they are and be able to prove them. And they can't. They can't. Most of the times they can't. I'll just look at them and say, well, you need to verify what you say before you say it. And um, so, now, if you Google it, Bible, or King James Bible, contradictions and errors, hey, there will be a lot of stuff online that will pop up. Contradictions. Oh, there's this contradiction here and this contradiction here. Can I be honest with you? Most, pretty much every single time, and I will say every single time in the King James Bible, every single time, it's not a contradiction. You just do just a short, just a short amount of study, and you can see how it is not a contradiction, how God knew exactly what he was saying. It's not a contradiction, and it's not an error. So you evaluate them, and you'll find that there are no contradictions at all. And so I leave you the King James Bible. I leave you the King James Bible. God inspired his words. He preserved them for all generations in the language of the world in English. You know, the interesting thing is Psalm 12, 6 through 7 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as try as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times which is, of course, the number of completion. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. What's interesting to note is, from Tyndale's English translation of the Bible to the King James Version, there is exactly seven English translations. Some might say coincidence. I'll leave that question to you. Is it a coincidence? Seven English translations till we arrived at the King James Bible. And so, God's Word... How magnificent it is, amen. What a wonderful thing we get to hold in our laps. We get to take church with us. We get to experience each and every single day. So I want to read you a statement that I read you at the very beginning. The Bible spans over 1,500 years, written by 40 different authors through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. It has 66 books, and it's perfect. Not a single error. Not a single imperfection. Not a single contradiction. Listen to this. Only God could do that. As far as our King James Bible, there is over 5,000 manuscripts that line up with our New Testament, which would stack a mile long, unlike some other authors who claim to be popular. If we were to take the Old Testament and the New Testament, it would be over, over 60,000, almost 66,000, over 66,000 manuscripts that would stack two and a half miles long. Can we verify the reality of our King James Bible? We absolutely can. It's a Bible that has stood the test of time. The number one selling book in the entire world, the King James Bible. What a phenomenal history it has had. And if we could take more time, we could study it out even more. But God has done something great through the King James Bible. And so if you have any questions, 
You can always send those on our contact page or message us us on Facebook. But until next time, keep looking up and keep stirred up for the cause of Christ.